Thank you very much, and Canon Eiffel, thank you. And I, and I do want to thank you um, for um, calling these gatherings into being. I don't remember how many years ago now, but, but calling them into being uh, to bring together the leadership of the colleges and universities and of the church, uh, both to honor and give thanks for the ministry and witness of St. Augustine's and Voorhees and their leadership and their students but also to begin to raise the consciousness uh, of the church. And, and you have, have led that, and I hope you all know that. Uh, Angela has really done that and has done a tremendous job at it, and we are in your debt, and we thank you. <laughs> to, to, my, to my old friend, uh, the Reverend Luis Leon, we were... Uh, the rector of, of, of St. John's Church here. We were both young priests years ago in, in North Carolina. We were in our 20s. Well, I was in my 20s. He might have been a little older than I am. But, <laughs> but Luis is, is an old and a dear friend. He really is, and a, a valued colleague. And I, I thank him, and I thank the wonderful staff of St. John's who have just been so gracious and uh, just opened the doors in your hearts. This is um, a remarkable church, uh, not only for its history, but for the legacy that it continues into the future. And the ministry that you do, it matters. It matters. And uh, it's just a joy to, to be with you and, and, to, and our, our presidents who are here. Um, um, you may or may not know that St. John's is sometimes referred to as the Church of the Presidents. Because uh, I believe that every one of them, with the exception of the president of the Confederate States of America, um, that was an exception. He didn't show up here, I, I, I trust, but that's during the Civil War. But all the legitimate presidents of the United States have always worshipped here. Um, and so it is, as the Book of Common Prayer used to say, it is meet and right so to do that the presidents of St. Augustine's University and Voorhees College should sit in this place. This is the Church of the Presidents. So we're glad to be with you. <laughs> it's good to be with you. And to be with uh, uh, the students, uh, with the, the two choirs of, of St. Augustine's and Voorhees, um, I am uh, honored, privileged, and blessed uh, to be able to be with you. And Lord knows I was blessed uh, to hear you sing and lift up the songs of Zion. And uh, we are very thankful for you and proud of you. Because in days like this in which we live, when there are profound questions about the future of the nation, and I'm just going to leave that there, profound questions, when there are questions about young people and young people growing up in, to take their place as citizens and as leaders in our country, and when we're, we are struggling in our historically African-American communities to redeem and save our young, to be able to be in this room and hear these young men and women sing the praises of God with dignity and eloquence and class. Let me tell you, that is a blessing. I could go home to Jesus right now. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Now, I'm not going to be long because I, I know Angela is a taskmaster, um, and, uh, and I want, want to honor that, and 
more than that, I know y'all, your stomachs will start growling at a, in about 30 minutes because it'd be lunchtime. And so I want to honor that. We want some time for conversation as well. But allow me, if you will, just to share some thoughts, um, especially for um, the young people who are here, but also for the leadership who has gathered here, uh, Father Martini Shaw, um, uh, Dr. Anita George from the task force, uh, members of the staff of, of, the, of the two schools, um, those involved um, in the church and the schools themselves. Um, um, there's, there's a leadership gathering that's happening here, and, and we are not here just simply accidentally or coincidentally, but I believe providentially for the strategic purposes of God. And so our gathering is an opportunity to, to, to begin some of that uh, symbiotic creativity that can make something happen. And we are not here simply to relish the past. We are here to create a new future. And I'll just leave that there. But, but let, me, let me just tell you something. In 1991... Some folk were doing some construction in New York City, lower Manhattan. And they stumbled on what they realized was a slave cemetery in lower Manhattan, New York. And when they began, when they realized that they had stumbled onto a cemetery, they had to handle that with care. And the, they brought in special archaeological excavators who unearthed and realized that there were remains and people had been buried there and there was actually a slave cemetery. I didn't say in Raleigh, North Carolina, Doc. I didn't say in Denmark, South Carolina. In New York, New York, a cemetery for slaves. And when they unearthed one of the um, encasements that um, a person had been buried in, they were, the archaeologists noticed a symbol that was clearly a, an etching, and it was an etching of a bird who seemed to be moving forward, but his head was tilted back and looking backward. They weren't sure what that was at first, and they actually had to get some scholars. I believe it was a scholar at Howard University. I'm not sure, but I believe it was one of the um, anthropological scholars at Howard who came and said, that's Sankofa. That is the symbol from Ghana. It goes back to the Ashanti and goes back to other traditional religious and philosophical cultures of West Africa. That is Ashanti. That is the bird um, who looks back in order to be able to go forward with clarity and dignity and integrity and vitality and strength, Sankofa. Now, I want to suggest that we may well be here in this moment of time, and I'm not making any commentary on the politics of the moment. We may well be here at this moment in time to remember anew that in order to go forward with clarity, with wisdom, with strength, and with strategic acuity, we must have the wisdom to look back 
learn from the past, both the mistakes and the accomplishments, glean its wisdom, and then strike camp and move forward. Now, now, now I'm inviting the Episcopal Church to do that when we talk about the Jesus movement. Because, see, what that really is is going back to who we really are. And by going back to who we really are and then heading forward, we actually will find the strength and the wisdom and the energy to go forward. See, the church, sometimes we get confused in church. Am I being taped? I probably do need to check this. But, but sometimes we get confused in, in church um, and we forget what our mission was. And church wants to do everything else except, you know, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and help to transform the world by his spirit and his name. Um, we kind of like McDonald's selling chicken and Kentucky Fried Chicken selling hamburgers. We get confused. If you McDonald's, you sell hamburgers. And if you Kentucky Fried, can I get an amen from somebody? If you Kentucky Fried Chicken, you're in the chicken business. And if you're the church, you're in the Jesus business. And so we're reminding the church we got to look back to remember who we are in order that we can go forward in the future. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's, that's the clarity. And that is true for all institutions. That is true for all organizations. I, I know there's some Greeks, uh, the, the two presidents um, are in a Greek society. Um, I think it starts with the first letter of the Greek alphabet, but I'm going to just leave that one there as well. Um, but, but the truth is that it's true for any organization, any society, any gathering, any movement. It must always be cognizant of its origins, its original purpose, its original intent, and find strength and wisdom from that to guide you into the future. I say that here with these young people here. We have been through ambiguous and hard days before. And we may have some hard days again. But we have been there before. You got ancestors who have traveled this road before. And they have done it with their heads held high. They have done it and refused to capitulate to hatred or bigotry or injustice. And they have gone forward to help us build a new world for all people. They did it. So like Sankofa, you got to learn how to glance back so that you can look ahead. Now I say that, I'm, I'm actually coming to a point, because I am convinced that our historically black colleges and universities, and I was the Bishop of North Carolina for 15 years, and I uh, know St. Augustine's well, and I'm coming to learn and know Voorhees, and I look forward to being um, with you in Denmark. I have to admit, I can't wait to go to Denmark, South Carolina, to go to Denmark, Finland, Sweden. I said, this is Norway. I, somebody else was visiting that neighborhood. But I look forward to being with you. But, but I, I, I know our, our colleges and universities, um, and I know some of our struggles. And, and small liberal arts colleges across the country, whether they are black or not, are struggling. Um, these are not easy times, and the job of these two presidents, let me tell you, is not easy. So y'all support these presidents and hold them up and pray for them. Pray for them. But I am more convinced that when we 
are living in complex, uncertain, ambiguous times. We must have the clarity about our future by being profoundly cognizant of our past. Now, I want to make a clear differentiation. I am not talking about wallowing in our past. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting stuck there. I'm talking about going back to reclaim the essence of our origin. Or, as I said when I was with UBE, uh, Father Shaw, the key to the fruit is going to be found in the root. All right, y'all with me now? You got to go back to the root. That's why I'm doing the Jesus movement. You got to go back to the root in order to actually get the fruit. And I would submit that as we, as historically black colleges and universities, engage our original mission and then transform it for today, we will find the clarity let me put it this way. We may find new markets. Oh, help me somebody. Now, now I'm coming home. And we may find a future that has a real future. Let me do it this way. The Jewish, Hebrew-Jewish tradition in the Bible understood Sankofa. You actually see a little bit of it in the Eucharist when Jesus at the Last Supper says, do this in remembrance of me. That's Sankofa, in remembrance. You got the remembrance of me, and then you remember the future. See, you create a new future. Um, that's coming out of the Jewish tradition. And the prophets of the Old Testament, whether it's Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, or, or the ones that nobody knows, Zephaniah and Zechariah and Nahum and Obadiah and Habakkuk, I mean, these are prophets even rabbis hadn't heard of. Um, uh, but they're there in the Old Testament. And that these prophets who, who foresaw a new future, they weren't just prophesying weather forecasters. They were talking about a new future. When Jeremiah, I mean, excuse me, when Amos said, let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook, he was talking about a world in which things are put right, in which injustices are overcome by God's justice. When Isaiah the prophet beheld a day when, when people would come to the mountain of God, and, and, and he says when folk come to the mountain of God, when they learn God's way, God's Torah, God's instruction, he says then folk will, will beat their swords into plowshares. Then they will, 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 will make pruning hooks out of weapons of war. Then they will lay down their arms. And he says, then there will be peace when they look back and find God's ways. The prophets of Israel, the Hebrew prophets, some of the most creative spiritual geniuses who ever lived, built their prophecy for a new future by glancing back to the ancient past. And most often, they glanced back to one whose name was Moses. Moses. Moses, the liberator. Moses, the one who gave a law of life. Moses, who led slaves from captivity 
to liberty. Moses, go down, Moses. Way down in Egypt land, and you just tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. The prophets foretold of God's future, God's justice, God's righteousness, the abolition of oppression, the end of poverty. They foretold that possibility based greatly on Moses. The old slaves, not only did they sing, go down Moses, but they heard of a woman who seemed to be doing the same thing Moses did. She went down some 20 times and took some 300 slaves from the Southland to the North and set them free. Her name was Harriet Tubman, but the old slaves called her Moses. Moses, the liberator. Moses, the great emancipator. Moses, who led a rabble of slaves to freedom. And we need some Moses and some Mozillas <laughs> today. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. We need some Moseses and some Mozillas. Now, if you glance far enough back, now I'm coming to the mission of historically black colleges and universities now. If you glance back to the story of Moses, the story where he sets slaves free is prefaced by another story. The preface to that story is found in the first and second chapter of Exodus. The rest of the freedom story and the freedom struggle is found after those chapters. But in the first and second chapters, and stay with me, this is, this is fascinating. In the first and second chapters, before Moses is born, the, the, the Hebrew writer sets the context. This is the womb out of which a Moses comes. The, 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 the people that we know as the Hebrew peoples, um, now, now the biblical scholars uh, tell us that the Hebrews, that the word Hebrew actually may be a corruption of the form of a word hyksos, which was often used to describe um, nomadic peoples who were kind of wandering around the Middle East and North Africa, and they were kind of nomadic peoples, um, and that at a certain point in history there was a large, massive invasion of these hyksos people who came out of the Middle East and migrated into Egypt looking for food. In a time of famine in the Middle East, Egypt was the great empire of its day. Egypt was the United States of its day. Egypt had built the pyramids, constructed with geometric precision. Egypt had learned how to embalm folk and keep their bodies looking good. Michael Jackson tried to copy what they were doing, didn't quite make it. Uh, but, but, but Egypt, Egyptian chemists knew how to embalm bodies. They knew a higher mathematics. Anybody here take geometry? It wasn't just Pythagoras who did it. Uh, the Egyptians were genius mathematicians and geometric geniuses. Nobody to this day knows how they really constructed the pyramids. To this day, we can go to the moon, but can't figure out how the Egyptians did it centuries ago. This, this was a great civilization, one of the greatest empires in all of human history. And so folk, when they were hungry and when there was famine, they, they went to Egypt, and so they migrated. Now, let me say it this way. They immigrated. 
Help me, somebody. Oh, yeah, they came on up from Mexico. Oh, excuse me, the Middle East. Help me, right? Right, they came on up and immigrated into the United, no, excuse me, into Egypt. Uh, they crossed the Rio Grande, no, they crossed the Nile River. Y'all see where I'm going now? And came into Egypt. And the more of them came, these Hyksos folk, the, the, the Egyptians began to become concerned that their numbers were growing too numerous. And they began to worry that, wait a minute, all these Hyksos folk, all these Hebrews might grow too numerous, and they might overtake over and overthrow the kingdom. Oh, and I'm not talking about our contemporary situation at all. I'm just telling you the Bible, right? And so, they, so the Pharaoh said, we got to do something about this. And the Pharaoh said, we're going to have to have some laws and had some restrictive laws and restrictive covenants which prevented these Hyksos from living in neighborhoods where they weren't supposed to live. And they thought that would help, but the, but the Hyksos, or the Hebrews, as they later got called, they kept having babies, and they kept growing, and their numbers kept increasing. And so they said, well, maybe we need to seal the, 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 the borders. Um, we, we don't have, we want to build a wall, <laughs> but we've got all our labor dedicated to the pyramids, so why don't we uh, put military fortifications on the Egyptian border to keep folk from coming in? But these Hyksos were slippery. They would just cross the Nile River anyway, and they would just come on in, and they just kept coming. So that didn't work. So finally they said, wait a minute, we know what we're going to do. We're going to make slaves of them. And they'll hate that so much, they'll stop having babies. Well, that ain't never stopped nobody, but that's a whole nother. But they figured it would try it, and so they enslaved the Hyksos, the Hebrews, and made slaves out of them. But they kept having babies, and the Egyptians were still worried. And so then the Egyptians said, ah, we know what we'll do. We'll make their labor even more difficult. We'll make them make bricks without straw. And they did, but the Hebrews kept having babies. And so finally the Pharaoh issued a decree. He said, I'll stop this Hebrew army before it gets mobilized. He issued a decree that all Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. And that when the children came out of the womb, the midwives who would help the women at the birthing stool, right, they, would, they would sit there like, you know, like the catchers. And, well, I don't know how they did it. But anyway, they, anyway the, the, the midwives who helped the women give birth, that, that they were ordered as soon as a Hebrew baby boy was born, they were to tell the Egyptian military and the soldiers would come and take the baby and kill it. That was, that's, I'm not making, this is the Bible. The Bible says there were two Hebrew midwives, one named Shipra and the other named Pura, which is the Bible's way of telling you there was an underground Harriet Tubman-like movement of these women. And these women were determined not to let these children get killed. Oh, stay with me now. They were the progenitors of HBCUs. These women were determined not to let a generation of young people be destroyed and taken away. That's what HBCUs did in the beginning. Y'all with me now? And, and so these two women, Shipra and Pura, I, I can't wait to meet these sisters when I get to heaven. Um, I know y'all think it's presumptuous of me to assume that I'm going, but if you know Jesus, you're going to go. It's called by grace, right? 
Uh, so by grace, I plan on getting there. But Shipra and Pua, these two sisters were the midwives, and they were determined um, that they were going to save as many Hebrew children as they could, which means it was a movement. It wasn't just two people. This was an underground Harriet Tubman movement to save the children. And when the Egyptian soldiers said, we're not, get, you're not, we don't, we're not getting the quota of Hebrew baby boys, Shipra and Pua said, Lord, we don't know what's about these Hebrew women. They're not like the Egyptian women. Egyptian women are very dignified when they had their babies. They, they, they quietly had a baby, and the baby pops out, and everything is bare. These, these Hebrew women, they are like so, they loud and screaming and making all sorts of noise and stuff, and then the baby pops out before we can get out there, and we can't find the children. They just lied through their teeth, and the Bible says God blessed them, not for the lie, but for saving the children. This is the story that is the preface, because one of the babies that was saved in this time was a baby whose name they would take him from the water. Remember that? In the Nile River. And, and it wasn't a Hebrew woman. It was an Egyptian woman. See, because love knows no tribal boundaries. Good folk come in all stripes and types. And it was the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt who saw this baby. And just like some of the benefactors of our historic black colleges and universities without black folk they're white folk because goodness comes in all colors and and so this woman she took this baby and she raised him as her own and brought his birth mother his hebrew mother to nurse him and the two of them raised this child this child moses he was saved if you will by this underground movement the shipras and the puras and the pharaoh's daughters and this child grew up, and the child whose life they saved eventually saved their lives and set them free. The vocation of our historically black colleges and universities is to save the children, to save our youth, to save them. And in saving them, setting them free to take their place as leaders in this society, so that they will save us all, so that they become our teachers, so that they become our business folk, so that they become our educators, they become our scientists, they become our lawyers, they become our politicians. They, one of them should be in that White House again before I go to glory. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about saving Moses, saving Mosina and saving a country, and frankly, saving a world. But, but let me take one more step. Because if you go back to the origins, the deeper origin and purpose is sometimes deeper than the original manifestation would appear. Because our historically black colleges and universities, all of which um, 
um, are the result of folk who realize that newly emancipated slaves after the Civil War and their descendants and their progeny, that it was necessary that education was the road to emancipation, that character and moral formation was the way, the true way to real liberation and salvation, and that we needed um, that kind of education and that moral and character formation so that young men and women who were descendants of these slaves um, could take their place and go back and teach others and go back and raise up others so that you could literally set a whole people free. But keep pushing back. Who were these descendants of slaves? Well, at the time, in the 19th century, they were African slaves and African descendants. My folk were those. North Carolina. Other group, my other group is Alabama. You know they were in slavery in Alabama. That, that's my folk. So they were descendants of, of Mother Africa. But keep pushing. Who were they, really? Well, they, it wasn't simply ethnic. They were the people the society forgot about. They were the people who were cast out. They happened to be African in their time. Well, stay with me now. I'm coming to it. Y'all may not amen me in a minute, but let me, I'm going to go there. See, they were the people who were cast out and cast down and put down by the world. And, and, and they were African in their time. And that's who the slaves were then. Who are the descendants of the slaves now? Some of them are, are Africans and African-Americans and Caribbean-Americans. Some, but some of them may well be Latino. Some of them may well be called undocumented by others. Some of them, are y'all with me now? Uh, so I'm expanding your market, bishops. I pray, uh, bishops, though I'm so used to talking to bishops. I'm expanding your market uh, because some of them, Spanish may be their native language. And some of them may be other folk who the world doesn't pay attention to. Some of them, I was just in the North, in the North Dakota where descendants of the Indians are being treated. I said, y'all getting treated just like us. Some of them may be Indians, and some of them may be Hispanic and Latino. Some of them may be poor white folk who get left out. It doesn't matter. The descendants of the former slaves are those the world would like to forget. And historically, black colleges and universities must now again make a place for them to go and save young people who others might forget but young people that we all desperately need. Some of them are black, and some are white. Some are red, and some are yellow and brown. The Bible says red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And so it may be, Sankofa, that when we really look back to go ahead, we may find that our historically black colleges and universities may have a new mission field that expands the one that we have. And you may discover I believe that as we move in that way, 
as we move to be schools and universities for young people who, like Moses, might be cast away, but who may well be the Moseses who will save us all, English and Anglo and Latino, Indian and African, Caribbean and American, Asian, white, that as we claim that high calling, I believe churches like the Episcopal Church will stand up and claim anew with you that mission, that vision, that high calling, because that for those of us who are citizens of this country. That is what America is about. It is the land of the free and the home of the brave. That is what America is about. It is a land for all of God's children. That is what America is about. A place where everyone has their place and a place where liberty and justice is meant for all. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast brought us thus far on our way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee, lest our hearts Drunk with the wine of this world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God and true to our native land. God bless you. God keep you. And remember Sankofa.